0: means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: an opportunity today to sit down in the Marlins Clubhouse up in Jupiter with shortstop JT Riddle. Um, JT, appreciate you joining me today. And just want to kind of start by telling your story a little bit. Um, obviously, Marlins fans have gotten to know you over the past couple of years, but uh, just what some of your interests are and kind of how you grew up with the game. You are a proud Kentucky boy, is that correct? That is correct. All right, so, so take me through a little bit of kind of you sort of growing to
2: love the game, uh, you know, when you were growing up in Kentucky. Uh, yeah, you know, I grew up uh, in Frankfurt. not that big of a town, uh, back home. And just grew up, you know, around the game, uh, you know, my family and everybody, you know, they all, they all, my older cousins and uh, family members and everybody, you know, played sports. So I kind of, I was kind of one of the younger, I guess, cousins. on um, my mom's side of the family and, you know, we always grew up playing wiffle ball. Grandparents live on a farm, so we always, you know, at Easters and Christmases and Thanksgiving's and everything, you know, we found ourselves out in the yard playing wiffle ball mm-hmm. and, uh, Course, you know, just kind of thinking back to those days, you know, out in the backyard playing wiffle ball, playing, you know, whatever it was, throwing football, anything outdoors, and uh, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun, and just kind of thinking back to those moments it kind of got me into, you know, wanting to play ball and everything, and then, of course, you know, my parents, you know, my dad you know, was an athlete, and, uh, of course, my mom's side of the family, you know, both sides of family were very athletic, and then my stepdad was probably the biggest influence. He was my coach throughout all my life, and uh, you know he coached me and everything from t-ball to you know, minor league, to little league to you know summer balls all the way through high school. And uh, he was probably my biggest influence on getting me better at the game and just me along the way. A couple of questions on that. First thing, and I know you're a huge uh, Kentucky basketball fan that shows
1: up on your Twitter account at times yeah. as well. Um, so why the... I, you mentioned that everybody played wiffle. Ball. Why the gravitation from you to baseball as opposed to maybe basketball? Was basketball something that you were uh, I skilled love basketball. in growing up? I
2: love basketball. I played all through high school. Um, I you know, had offers to go play some college basketball, and you know, I, I guess if I really wanted to, I could have probably done both. I would have had to go to a smaller school. Mm-hmm. Um, probably wouldn't have... You know, got much playing time in kentucky <laughs> but uh i've always said you know i might, I might have been able to walk on uh, kentucky you wouldn't, been, you wouldn't have been one of calipari's one and dunes no kentucky. no i probably <laughs> wouldn't have been one and done but uh but yeah it was uh i love basketball and i love
0: playing and played like
2: i said played all through high school and played au ball growing mm-hmm. up just as much as i did you know growing up playing baseball and uh it just came down to it that you know a new baseball, you know, I could see a foreseeable future, I guess, and, you know, potential to make it, you know. as a professional um, you you you,
1: you mentioned your stepfather being a big influence all along the way and coaching you all the way up sometimes for for some kids that can be a, a bit of a challenge at times particularly if you're hearing the same voice over and over and over you know about the way that you play for many 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 years how did you kind of balance that relationship with him where obviously he's your
2: stepfather but he wants you to excel in
3: the sport yeah you know
1: he
2: came into my life really early and uh there's a great relationship, and you know he was he coached college softball for a while, and uh, you know when I was you know, six, seven, eight years old, you know I was up there hanging out, you know with with his team. Uh, he was at Midway College, and uh, I remember you know playing against him sometimes, and, and uh, so, but he was always you know a good influence to me just the way he spoke and the way he coached, and you know he would get up in my face, and, you know sometimes but you know, he would also you know write home mm-hmm. you know tell me you know all the good things that happened too but uh, but, uh he, he was very good and you know, i think it was just a you know it was a good relationship between me and him to be able to you know me be able to listen to him but also you know like i said he, he would get on me sometimes <laughs> um but what I, I what about was specifically? Was, I mean, was it about process
1: or results? Because a lot of times that, that's sort of the, the key difference is whether you're focusing on
2: mm-hmm. sort of the process of what a kid is doing, trying to get better, or on obviously the way it plays out. Yeah, I mean, it's I, mean, I guess you could say it's a little bit of both, really. I mean, the process of everything, because he, he knew, you know, kind of, I guess, what I had in me early on at an early age and being able to be around me all my life i guess just seeing you know he had coached at the college level so he had understood and he had been around tons of athletes he's coached high school middle school even before i you know was older and uh you know he had coached so much and he's known he's known for that in Mm -hmm. the the hometown he's coached everywhere and uh you know it's just like i said it's a a good relationship that we have it's like a it's a father-son relationship but it's a best friend you know relationship too and uh um, it's been very good. So, gravitating to the shortstop
1: position, which, mm-hmm. which obviously is, uh, that's the position that kids always want to play when they're growing. It's like quarterback, right? <laughs> yeah. You're a shortstop, you're the quarterback, you're the center of the field. Um, talk me through a little bit, sort of how you know that became your
2: spot. Uh, you know, I think back, and it's just, you know. I wanted to always play shortstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played a little bit of third. I was a Chipper Jones fan, so I played some third. And uh, Well, he played some shortstop when he was young too, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, I guess, you know, short, they say, is you know, the, you know the best the put the best player on the field at shortstop. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, I guess when I started playing you know, back in the day, it was, I want to play shortstop. And then it just kind of grew and it's like, well, I want to be a shortstop. And we got to high school and you know, played short from freshman through senior year, and, of course, I pitched too. I went to Kentucky with a two-way guy, actually, and uh, had some arm trouble and ended up, you know, playing right field up there, mm-hmm. and uh, and then played second. I didn't play much short in college, so then being able to get that opportunity to prove that I could play shortstop even when I got to pro ball, and still was kind of, obviously, everywhere. When I got to pro ball, I was at third, I was at second, I didn't play much short, and then in Greensboro, I started playing short again, and, you know, Dave Berg was the manager that year, and he was was great, and he said, I remember him, and basically, he's like, I'm going to play him at shortstop, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and I just think back to that day, and I haven't played much, much anything else else, uh, since then, so
3: I kind of, you know, thank him a lot, too,
2: when it comes to, you know, giving me the opportunity to play short and prove that I can be a shortstop. So, what is the toughest thing about breaking into the majors? Is it, is
1: it good? I mean, for a lot of guys, it's an ability thing. For a lot of guys, it's just sort of fighting through the mental frustrations of what this game presents to you and then doing it in the settings that are not like this, right? So for, for you, what was what was sort of your timetable to break into the majors? Did you hit it, Were you, and, and
2: sort of how did that work out? I think early on was, you know, my timetable was kind of I want to progress. I want to mm-hmm. build every year. I want to move up a level every year from rookie ball, the next year I want to be in low A, the next year I want to be in high A. I want to be able to move up, I don't really want to repeat. I don't want to repeat anything. And uh, that was kind of my mindset and my goal was to just move up. And then when I finally, I guess at 17, I got the call. It was, of course, a dream come true for me, but then to think about it. You know what I mean? I guess everything you've done to build up to that point, and it's like, man, this game really changed from AAA to the majors. And the game really speeds up. And I think back to that first week, Man, will I ever get a hit in the big leagues? <laughs> and uh, it's like, man, this is tough. You know, will I it said now? Will ever, you know, be back? And uh, but you go through those, you know, those things, those times where you have to change, and you know, the game's going to slow down for you. I feel like I've always been able to just kind of slow the game down you know, pretty easy. But that's probably, through my time of baseball, that kind of first week in the big league, that's probably the fastest the game of baseball has ever been for me. Take me through the first at-bat. Who was it against? It was against, well, it was against Bartolo, and I actually had a really good at-bat. I wasn't—I didn't go in there facing somebody <laughs> throwing like 98, you know, you know the Grom or you know, Scherzer or in somebody like that. In the old days, like Bartolo so, could get up there, but not uh, anymore. <laughs> so it was nice, and uh, I think I'd actually faced him in spring training. Uh, that that spring and so I go in and I'm like he can't beat me he has nothing to beat me you know get me out just gotta you know know he's gonna throw a fastball just gotta you know but I couldn't I couldn't square one up I kept fouling him off and fouling him off it was like a nine pitch at bat (laughs) and I finally squared one up and smoked one to left field and of course right at the left fielder Mm -hmm. just like man all right this this isn't bad you know Mm -hmm. Um, it took me a little bit longer you know Mm -hmm. but but it was it was a good first at bat. You know, in my head, I have a good first at bat. So, like you said, the game is
1: faster than you were anticipated. It would have already been for you before. At what point during that
2: rookie season did it start to slow down for you a little bit? I think when, of course, I was up for two weeks. You know, of course, I hit the homer. You know, it was kind of uh, I count that as more of my first hit than my <laughs> actual first hit. my um, right. first hit was the you know the check swing bounce bounces hit the bat and rolls down the line. Count the same in batting uh, average though. They count the same. You know, really, both <laughs> knocking that you know, knocking the books. But uh, but yeah, it's, you know I, I think back and it's like I got I was up for about another week and uh, sent back down to Triple A for about a three, four week span. And when I came back yes, up, it was like, man, this is, this, I feel more comfortable mm-hmm. um, being in the clubhouse, being, you know, knowing what to do, you know. It's like, it wasn't a first call up anymore. It's like, I'm back up and I, I feel comfortable I can prove myself. And I actually, I felt more comfortable and I started playing better too. I remember when I first got back up the second time that I kind of got on a little hot streak and I felt really good. What about defensively? So, you know, obviously
1: maybe not be quite the same of an adjustment as hitting because with pitchers you're going sort of up the ladder. I would assume playing shortstop is for you at this stage, playing shortstop. But what what was
2: kind of the transition to doing it at this level? Uh, it's, you know, there was definitely a transition. Like I said, the game was faster. It yeah. felt faster. So I felt like I was, you know, trying to be too quick at times or rush something or, you know, a ball was hit at me. You know, and every I guess everybody up there, you know, felt like they were hitting balls at me like 110 miles an hour. And uh, I remember I took it was uh, I think it was Bryce Harper. He smoked one to me, and uh, I think it went down. It was my first big league air. Mm-hmm. and uh, he smoked one to me, and it was a uh, line drive, like one hop, and it was uh, you know, Bullet. felt like it just got on me. It wasn't hit you know that hard. Now I feel like I would just. Take a step back and just catch it you know, normal but right then it's like which way do i go do i go forward do i go back i ended up i think just like falling like i felt like i fell on top of the ball and just like tried to knock it down but, uh, um, but yeah you know it's the game slows down on both sides of the hitting building and you just you learn so much you know you get comfortable once you get up so long. And whether it's in the clubhouse, whether it leads to the field, you just get comfortable and you get used to it. We had a bit of
1: an audio malfunction uh, towards the back end of that interview, so I just want to bring you a little bit more from JT. I do think uh, he's an interesting guy that that South Florida sports fans should get to know a little bit better. Uh, a few things here: one, he's a single father. Uh, his daughter actually turning five in March. And so we talked a little bit about his difficulty learning how to sort of get a ponytail for her which is something that I can relate to um, as the father of a a four-and-a-half-year-old. If you don't do that right, they certainly tell you about it. Uh, We also talked about sort of where he hangs out in South Florida. He says he can kind of move around without too much stress. I think that's the case for a lot of the Marlins right now, particularly the young Marlins. He hangs out a lot down in Coconut Grove, which he says a little bit more his speed as a Kentucky guy than, say, Uh, you know South Beach would be Um, I asked him to make a choice because he again is a Kentucky guy Uh, what is the most exciting event the World Series the Kentucky Derby or Kentucky being in the NCAA championship and he said obviously the World Series if he's in it but he doesn't want to watch the World Series if he's not uh, so he'd probably go with the Derby even as quickly as that Ends And and also we talked a little bit about Derek Jeter and kind of what he's picked up from Derek. And the biggest thing he talked about was kind of that Derek was a grinder. And I, I do think that's something that's not really talked about much because Derek had kind of a glamorous lifestyle away from the field. But his biggest thing was Derek showed up every day to compete, and even all the way up until the end with the walk-off at the very end of his career, but that he was always there to compete, and then so maybe it wasn't quite as glamorous as sort of, you know, what you would see in the tabloids and all that stuff, but that's something he's admired from Derek. He says they haven't really talked that much about specifics of the position of shortstop. It's more about approach. You know, when do you start getting ready for the season? How do you prepare your body? He says that kind of stuff from Derek has been very, very valuable to him. And as far as the team itself, you know, one thing he talked about, was that, you know, they don't have a Harper, they don't have a Machado, obviously, they don't have that kind of player with that kind of star power, but you never know where the stars are going to come from, and he feels good uh, about the young group, and he just thinks there's going to be a lot of improvement for a lot of them who were up for the first time last year, as he was a couple years ago, to this year, so some stuff there uh, from JT Riddle, and and one other thing, I should add this at the end, he says, the, I asked him the one thing that he didn't—that people may not know about him. And he said, uh, you know, that he had show horses when he was a kid, that he would basically, you know, take the horses around and, uh, and all that. And so I asked him, uh, you know, if he's gone out to Gulfstream and any of these other places. Obviously, he goes back in Kentucky uh, and hangs out quite a bit there. But he said he was at Gulfstream a couple times uh, the previous year and was going to get back out there again. So he is a guy who's integrating himself in South Florida. And obviously, uh, we'll be following JT going forward. All right, thanks again to JT Riddle for joining us. Hopefully, we get a chance to talk to more Marlins players throughout the season. As I have mentioned before, the Marlins have been really cooperative with us, and we appreciate it. But now let's sort of dig into the team a little bit, this team that's won 600 games in a row in spring training as we're coming to you. (laughs) Uh, they, they're an absolute juggernaut. We know how spring training translates into the regular season. It's a direct correlation. So we're expecting 125 wins I agree. this season at the very least, but yeah, let's dig into where they are because I think Chris, you and I had Mike Hill on the pod and, you know, the president of baseball operations for the Marlins. And, and I think both you and I were kind of impressed by sort of the clarity of his vision, um, which is something I think we're, we're trying to get from a couple of the other teams here. That doesn't mean it's going to work necessarily. It doesn't mean that necessarily they'll pick the right players, but at least I sort of understand the philosophy, but we're not really going to look long-term here. Uh, we're going to look at this season and our guy, Craig Misch uh, from swings and missions. You check out his podcast. He has Jeremy Tache and Michael Sandbeek on there quite a bit as well. You know, Craig has talked a lot about how this is going to be an absolutely miserable season um, in terms of, you know, a transition, you know, from kind of where they were last year, where they had a few more veterans, and now they're kind of moving towards, um, you know, a situation where you know they're probably going to be trading off even more of these veterans. I mean, we talk about the five core guys with Mike Hill. You know, the three outfielders, you know, D Gordon, J T. Rumuto, but now you know you you have a couple other veterans, right? So you've got Martín Prado, who's going to play a prominent role. You've got you brought in Neil Walker for one year uh, to play a couple of different positions. You've got Starlin Castro you know, at second base, possibly hitting third this season. I don't know that those guys are going to finish the season with you too. So I think, Chris, we got to take all of that into account as we sort of project how many games this team is going to lose this year. Uh, because I, you know the objective is not to win this season
3: right and that's always a difficult thing when you're trying to figure when you're trying to sort of prognosticate in the near term I I guess um, to me the things that you can leave the season with that are that are sort of in the short term is tracking the development of the players that you feel like are going to be uh, part of the long term and and you mentioned the winning a thousand in a row in spring training and I was trying to look at some of the underlying performances I mean some of them it's like a player like Miguel Rojas who's 30 who's been around the team for a thousand years who's playing well that's not really particularly important it's really the prospects how much they're playing how much they're developing I mean hell, tracking the minor leagues uh, could be as interesting to this team as tracking the major leagues but I do want to hit on one thing that Michael Hill repeatedly talked about during his interview with us and that's pitching And, and he said over and over starting pitching starting pitching starting pitching it's what I'm looking for and trying to have as much of as, as is possible. And so I, I try to look through some of the performances, and that is actually the thing in this spring training run that I'm really interested in. So uh, you look at, for example, Pablo Lopez, who they just traded for, has pitched really well for them. His ERA is under one in spring training. Last time out, six innings, two hits, no earned runs, five strikeouts. Caleb Smith has pitched really well for them. Uh, he's he's 27, so he's not really quite in the age range of, of a rebuild, but again, could be someone that you're, that you're getting something in return for in, in, in the Trade market. Um, Trevor Richards has pitched really well for them. Uh, he had a, a perfect game, six innings, uh, a perfect six innings, six six innings, no hits, no run runs, no walks, and six strikeouts. Sandy Alcantara to me is an interesting one. Uh, he actually he got bombed, but yet at the same time, so he pitched three and a third, six hits, six earned runs allowed, but he struck out seven. Uh, and then in another start, he pitched four four and a third and struck out five. So his strikeout power is going to be something worth noting, but. Again, they're going to lose a lot of games. It, it, they might actually continue to try and, and tear this thing down even more uh, by trying to offload Martín Prado and Castro. And hell, I mean, uh, you, you might have to you might have to do a salary dump NBA trade of Wei and Chen at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but I, I I do wonder kind of if they can make those steps in this year and. Particularly, I'm looking at it from a pitching point of view. When I'm looking at box scores uh, at the end of every game this year, I'm looking at who pitched and how well they pitched because that's kind of how Mike Hill wants to judge this thing, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he does. I mean, it is about pitching for him. And what's interesting is we always talk about the Astros model, um, but the Astros were basically built through their lineup. Yeah, Uh, you know, I mean, they added Verlander in trade and they had some pitchers who came up. They
3: had who was really good.
1: Keigel was really good, and obviously they went out, you know, to Pittsburgh and 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 with Cole this past year, and that worked out really well, and so they were able to supplement. But they really did it with position players. I mean, they, they did it with, well, Altuve was a guy who wasn't drafted high, but Correa, uh, Bregman, I mean, right down the line, Springer. I mean, you know, their lineup is loaded, and these are all guys that came up through their system, and a lot of it was through what we sort of call baseball tanking, which is a little different than the tanking in other sports. It does seem like Mike Hill's philosophy here, as you said. He kept talking about pitching, 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 pitching. Um, it doesn't mean they're not looking for position players. But I don't know that it's as clear on the position players' side. Right. So like last year, you know, you you, you sort of force fed Brinson. And I, I think they did it for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, they wanted to first, they thought he was ready, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And second, he's local. It, you thought you had something, somebody that you could sell. And three, they traded Yelich. They had to show something for it yeah, because um, because they really were in a position to show a lot for Stanton at that point. And in terms of what they got back. And so you you push Brinson out there and look, it was a cataclysmic disaster. I mean, obviously now he's had a good spring for the most part. I mean, he got off to a really hot start last year. He had a good spring too. So we'll see where the adjustments are. You and I did a podcast with Monte Harris. And I think we were both impressed with him as a personality. Um, Certainly you're impressed with the tools. I mean, he has all the tools that you want, big athletic, Strong, can throw, can run, can hit for power. Is he going to be able to hit curveballs at the major league level at this stage? I mean, that's you know that was an issue with Brinson. So, do they have two outfielders there? Is Sierra a potential outfielder for them going forward? What do they? They have a couple of prospects at short. They've got a couple of prospects at second. Whenever they.
0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Move Castro. Brian Anderson's going to play somewhere, but he's kind of an old, you know, he's an old prospect also. Like you talk about Caleb Smith. I mean, they have some guys who are kind of, you know, in that sort of late 20s range where it's a little hard to call them prospects. But I I thought one of the most interesting things that Mike Hill said when he talked to us was that, you know, he was like, we're not looking for the cute guy, you know, who can be the fourth or fifth starter. And I respect that philosophy because you can find those guys, right? Like you can find a guy to eat up innings. Like, I you know, I go back even to the good Marlins teams. Remember Mark Redman? Uh, yeah, you know he, you know, in that two thousand three season, didn't throw particularly hard, left handed. Got off to a really good start, kind of faded as the season went on, and what I don't even think he was in the postseason rotation or he, not. Yeah,
3: he, start, he started World. Se- He's the reason why Josh Beckett started on three days rest. Because right, he started right. World Series game two and was a disaster. It was a disaster, and, <laughs> and then uh, and then McKeon decided I'm going to go with Beckett on three days rest.
1: Right, so I mean, those are the type of guys. And Redman had a pretty decent, you know, major league career, but. Those are the type of guys like you're not really. Now I thought Caleb Smith was one of those guys. Maybe he projects to more. Um, but but when you're looking, it seems to me like Michael's philosophy is we're looking for boom or bust guys. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I'm okay having seven busts if I find three booms. Like I, I that's that's a different philosophy. And I think the reason he can do that, and I hate to say this, but the reason he can do that is because nobody
3: cares.
0: Like <laughs> if, if, if I, you're
1: like, right, like, and and, like, and they're
3: like, going to lose anyway. They might as well take big swings.
1: Right. So like like the Dolphins, it's harder for the Dolphins to do that. Right. Because the Dolphins people are paying attention. So when you take a swing at a and just go back a year before they were tanking two years, you take a swing at a Charles Harris. Right. In the first round, who projected to potentially be a really good pass rusher, but also had some bust, you know, stain on him potentially. Right. And he looks more like a bust at this stage. Um, so you take you know you take the big swings. I mean, even Devonte Parker, there were some questions. Jordan Phillips, remember Jordan Phillips, second yeah. round went to Buffalo. Like everybody's like, oh, he could be like a Tim Bowens type defensive tackle, or he could be what he's been, which is you know doesn't give consistent effort. They decide to get rid of him. You know he's making a lot of noise in Buffalo, but not making a ton of plays. I, that's I, you know, so I think. But the Marlins can do those things because nobody is going to know. Like no, like if they bust on somebody. And even look at the Yelich trade, like maybe Brinson and Harrison don't both become elite. But if one does, then okay, you know, you've done okay for you're never going to do great for a guy who turns out to be MVP, but you've done okay. And so I think because of that, the losses are going to be more significant because you're going to have guys who come up and struggle the same way that Brinson has. And the other thing with the organization is they're not always going to make a decision based on what's best for the field. Because they still want to make sure, like they don't want to bring guys up too soon, because they don't want to lose the year of, you know, control and you know all the things that, you know, Samson and Loria rightly so used to get banged on about. But I mean, this regime's going to do the same thing because I, you know, you don't if you're not if you're not trying to win 90 ninety 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 five games, then why waste the service year? It's like burning a red shirt year. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't make sense. So, but look, I I think they're probably going to lose a hundred. Um, I think a couple of pitchers could survive, uh, could surprise. I guess this would be my question for you. What what qualifies as on-field success this year? To, to you, if I was to say, you come out of 162, and this happens, you're not making the playoffs, you're not making a wild card run, etc., but this happens, this would make it a success. What is that?
3: Uh, it, for me, it's the sign of core players uh, starting to emerge. It's Lewis Brinson having a good season. It's a few mid-season call-ups having good Good campaigns. You're like okay, when we're building out a future Marlins lineup, a future Marlins starting rotation, a future Marlins bullpen. These are start of the. These are some of the players that are starting to emerge. I think you can't really care about the fact. Like again, you go back to those Astro seasons. That's three years: fifty-six, one hundred and six, fifty-five, one hundred and seven, fifty-one, and hundred and eleven. I mean, that's three years of basically win percentage in the thirties in baseball. It's almost impossible. Um, but I, I I don't particularly care about the on-field results. I I, I care about uh, the on-field performances of the players. Um, and and I just want to be able to see that. And, and as much as as you said, they threw Brinson out there last year because they wanted to justify this trade. And and he was a local kid, but. You do want to see, obviously, some of the draftees, some of the prospects that they already had coming through and playing well. That would be nice. But some of the players that you've traded for in the Yelich trade, the Stan trade, the Ramuto trade, like the fact that, obviously, you're looking through the performances in spring training and hoping that Sandy Alcantara, who came in the Ozuna trade, works out. And and the fact that Pablo Lopez has come in uh, from this Ramuto trade and straight away, is playing really well, uh, or is pitching really well for the Marlins? That's great. You want to see, in particular, those prospects that you traded for uh, starting to reveal themselves. But yeah, to me, it's about when when this gets good in three years. These are going to be the players that are going to be the foundation of it. That's what I want to see. I do want to note though uh, something. that so, so you you were talking about that Mike Hill thing about how they're taking big swings and like I I and we were even talking like all fair is like yeah well he's six foot four and he's two hundred and fifty pounds and he can, you know, jump out of a building and and all this stuff, I'm a bit surprised. That a baseball executive would talk about the sport that way because mm. obviously athleticism is a big part of this, but I mean there are also fat guys that succeed, short guys that succeed, skinny guys that succeed, not particularly great athletes that succeed. I'm I'm a little bit surprised in baseball, uh, I, and I'd be curious what it's like around the league. But uh, isn't isn't kind of like the whole Moneyball idea that yep. you know that we can get Kevin Youkilis, who is not particularly impressive, be our Greek god of walks and and, and play well? Like I I almost kind of had thought that that wasn't really part of the calculus maybe this is kind of part of a new money ballish type calculus where you want great athletes and try and turn them into great baseball players but it always seemed to be that athleticism to a quality baseball player was kind of the most tenuous relationship other than maybe like in soccer where you have, you know, I would say most great soccer players, if you saw them walking down the street, you would know that they were top professional athletes. Um and, and, and I kind of thought that baseball was next up on that list. I was a little bit surprised that it, it's a little bit of an old school, but maybe who knows? It's new school. I don't I don't know enough about, you know, what's happening in the scouting world to really to to say that for sure.
1: Yeah, they you don't know, is fascinating. And it's not just that it's sort of anti-analytics, it's also sort of an anti-Jeter philosophy. Philosophy if you think about it, because I mean, Derek was a good athlete, uh, obviously, but, uh, you know, Derek was like, I mean, sort of a grinder. That's one of the things JT Riddle was talking about, which got, a little bit got lost on the tape there. But, uh, you know, that Derek was sort of a grinder. He, he wasn't necessarily, um, uh, you know, what Mike Hill is describing. Like, yeah, I, I think Derek was 6'2", right? And again, good athlete, um, but not like an uber athlete. And, and what, what uh, you know, what kind of Mike Hill's talking about is, Yeah, we're going to go get a bunch of, you know, football and basketball players, throw them out on the field and see if they can hit a curveball. Now, maybe I'm simplifying it a little bit too much, but even when he talks about pitchers like uh, his the whole thing. Have you seen how tall our pitchers are? Yeah, like six, five, six, 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 seven. Um, you know, now, now the Marlins have done that before they had some guys like a Chris Volstad. Okay. Remember him? (laughs) Like a lot of, right. I mean, and it didn't convert. Um, and so that's why I'm saying like, ultimately we can talk about philosophy and I I like the clarity that Mike Hill speaks with. Um, I, I, again, it's something I want to hear from the dolphins and the heat, frankly, going forward, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pick the right guys. Okay. And that's, you know, you're identifying athletes and, and look, when you're, trading for like the shortstop prospect in the Stanton trade, the Devers kid, right? Like, what was he 18, 19 years old? Like, Mm -hmm. you don't know. I mean, I, we talk about how hard it is to project in the NBA when guys are one and done. Okay. Like baseball's harder. Like, you, you, you know, I mean, first thing, I mean, the skill sets are more difficult to identify, but also then, you know, he's going to bump around in the minor leagues for four or five years. Like what happens to him in his life during that? Right. Does, how does the frustration of the game get to him and all that? I mean, that's, it, it, mentally, baseball is the most challenging of all the sports, in my view. And so you don't know how a kid's going to handle it. So what Mike Hill's doing is very difficult. What Jeter's doing is very difficult. What Gary Dembo is doing is very difficult. I do have confidence in him based on a lot of the things that he's done in the past. But like you're, you're, you're basically doing is he's, they're casting as wide a net as they can with the highest upside prospects that they possibly can, knowing that a lot of them are going to bust. It's just going to happen? And but if you go back to the Marlins, like even ten years ago, okay. And I know you know we had Dan Jennings uh, on the pod with with Craig Mish, and I recommend you listen to it. But I, I was critical of, of Jennings and others during that time when I was writing columns for the Sun Sentinel. This goes back even further because I, I guess my last year as a columnist for the Sentinel was two thousand ten. But like in the two thousands, like after they won the World Series, like they drafted a ton of pitchers in the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. A lot they're all of like, they're
3: all like high school pitchers, right?
1: All and they all busted. Yeah. They all busted. Like to varying degrees. I mean uh, there were a couple that hit okay. I mean we we recently saw Kevin Olsen arguing with our slim from Ballscast at a watch party <laughs> at Duffy's. Where he was arguing NBA until we realized it was Kevin Olson, um,
3: but and, and he and, was saying that people that don't that haven't played baseball don't know anything about baseball and couldn't possibly do. No, yeah. was it? It was Scott Olson, it wasn't Kevin Olson? It was Scott, Scott Olson. Olson? Yeah, I'm sorry,
1: there wasn't there Kevin Olson too. It was Scott Olson. Yeah. Uh, Scott, Scott, I, I did a big strength of Scott Olson back in the day. Yeah, it was Scott Olson, and he was kind of like. You know Bruce Springsteen. You
3: don't know anything.
1: Bruce Springsteen glory days uh, athlete. You know, (laughs) sitting outside at Duffy's watching a heat game, screaming at Slib. Uh, Yeah, that was basically what he's become. But he was one of the better ones, actually. I mean, there there were uh, go back through that list, and then they took some shots on like remember Jeff Allison, who had a bunch of uh, off-field problems. He was considered an elite prospect. Like they they missed on a ton of guys. It's going to happen. Okay, it happened then. And I guess the one question we never really asked Mike Hill is he kept talking about how the farm system was barren. The farm system was barren. The farm system was barren, right? That was his big thing. We had to replenish the farm system. Of course, Mike was there during all that, right? Yeah. So I guess the question we probably should have asked, I think you tried to at one point was why like, you know, because I mean, you did ask him kind of what he he looks at what he might've done differently. He didn't really totally address that, but like,
3: no, yeah, he, did, he, 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 so he did this whole jag about how like we were we were a win now organization then. That we were that like we didn't care about the future. And and I mean to be honest, I, I do think that it's a little bit of harsh criticism because if any farm system produced Yelich, Ramuto Ozuna, oh, yeah. Stanton, like like the way that they built, like their young players coming through the majors was about as successful, at least from a position standpoint. You mentioned the pitching failures, but from a position standpoint, it's about as successful as a team could produce.
1: Yeah, no, no, it was. I mean, right. No, they look, they hit on five. I mean, D Gordon, they brought in. Right. But yeah, uh, but, yeah they, but they hit on. I mean, Rio Mutsu was not considered an elite prospect when they brought him up. Um, I mean, Yellich. It's funny, with Yelich. Yelich always reminded me of a Hermida comp, and he turned out to be, obviously, a much, much better player, but... What They always used to talk about with Jeremy Hermita, who, by the way, was eliminated in the first round of our most reviled athletes in South Florida <laughs> That's history. That's too bad because he was but reviled, he man. was reviled. But ch- check that out, it's on Five Reasons Sports. We're counting him down. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie is going to win this thing, but whatever. I mean, we're, we're giving it a shot. <laughs> Heath, Heath Bell might be second. Uh, David Sanders will be up there too. But, but, but basically, what we, uh, you know, when you look at Hermita, there was always this talk like, okay, he has this really sweet swing. And eventually he'll develop power, right? And and he he kinda did one year. I think he got close to twenty. But even with Yelich, our buddy Brendan Tobin, like was mocking him how he would never hit twenty home runs yeah. and got out of that ballpark and he's hitting thirty plus <laughs> winning the MVP. You just you just don't know. You just don't know. I mean to Stanton, okay, it was clear elite, elite prospect and I even go back to doing a radio show with Jeff DeForest, and Jeff and I were ta- arguing about whether you should include him in a trade for Manny Ramirez. There was one year that the the Marlins were relatively close to the wild card, and mm-hmm. or like she and you know, obviously it was smart that they didn't. So you, you just don't know. So I guess the overall point here is, you know, that Mike Hill is going to take some big swings. Um, I do think they're going to lose a hundred. Um, I, I think, I, and I think they may be better than that early, but I think as they start to trade pieces. It'll get worse, but I'm with you. They need to, we need to see three or four guys kind of emerge, okay, as, all right, these are core players going forward. Maybe they're going to have some bumps. Maybe next year won't be as good as this year, but these are build around type players. I'd like to see them on the pitching staff, honestly, um, even more so than position players. But I think if they do that, because I think even as we look at the heat season, like I think you and I are looking at the heat season differently now because, wow, Look at Justice. Look at Bam. Okay, it's starting to happen a little bit. Like, okay, maybe they're not number one, guys. They're, but start, they they're
3: starting and they're closing and they're winning games. Like, like right. that, Like that's his, a, a dream scenario for those guys.
1: Right, and Derek Jones Jr. is doing some things, too. And you're like, okay, so there's some pieces here. We don't, we don't have a superstar, okay, probably. But, you know, I don't know what Bam's going to be. I don't know what Justice is going to be. We don't have a superstar. I think it's clear Josh is not going to be, but... You know, I, I think, you know, he certainly can be a core piece, but you're like, okay, you have three or four core pieces here that you can build with the Marlins guys are not going to be at that stage this year. But look, if Monte Harrison comes up in June, okay. And he hits 12 bombs the rest of the way and, you know, hits at least 250 and plays pretty good defense and runs the bases well. You're like, okay, maybe you have something here. So I, I think, you know, Brian Anderson last year, nobody was talking about Brian Anderson before the year. And then he was a rookie of the year candidate. Okay. So. We don't know. I think the thing we do know is the Phillies are going to be really damn good. <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. The nationals are probably going to be pretty good. Although obviously they've taken some major hits. I don't know with the Mets, it depends on what pitching they trade off. I, the lineup's still not great. Um, and the Braves have a really interesting young core and the Braves are kind of, to me, two years ahead of where the Marlins were, right? Like they're, I mean, they, they broke the thing down and now they've got Acuna in the outfield and they've got a lot of really good pieces, And, you know, they've got a new ballpark and all of these things are happening for them. So I think it's pretty fair to say the Marlins are going to finish last. I think it's fair to say they're going to lose 100 games. I think they'll play hard. I do think one more storyline I want to get to before we go uh, is Mattingly because he's been here a while now. Um, I think he's associated with Jeter because they're both kind of all-time Yankees, right? But I don't know what the relationship is really there. Jorge Posada's hanging around a lot. (laughs) I know what the relationship is there with Jeter. Pretty clear on that one. Um, Do you think Mattingly survives the season? Do you think he survives the process?
3: I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on... uh, on, Really, he's probably going to be judged on player development more than anything else. I mean, I don't know how you can lose a bunch of games... I mean, unless he's making dumb decisions, I'm, I'm trying to remember because I remember at, at the beginning of the Houston Astros thing, uh, it was Bo Porter, wasn't it? it used to it was like a third base yes. coach uh, for yes. a while, and I, and I don't know uh, what what caused him to be fired. I mean, I, losing can be corrosive, right? It can it can ruin relationships uh, almost even even if the plan is to lose. But I think it would be harsh on Mattingly, especially as Derek Jeter is basically asking him to uh, ruin his career record, right? Like that's the thing with Brett Brown of the Sixers is that. Right. You know, he almost will never get back to five hundred because he was asked to lose for so long. Uh, his career record uh, i 'm going to pull up right now. Is uh well if you have to take out his sit is uh, Sydney is Sydney so in the NBA he's one twenty seven and two eighty three and he's about to have a second consecutive fifty win season like he's so far away from overturning his career win percentage and like if if you're if you're a manager you do have to think about uh you know hey I'm I'm doing kind of career reputation like he's I think going into this year he's got an above five hundred winning percentage he's six sixty five and six twenty eight as a manager he's gonna be an under five hundred manager. For his career, if he survives the year, so like I, I don't know if Mattingly is going to even want to do it after this year.
1: He may not. Um, he may not. I mean, I don't. You know, it, it's really remarkable to me how you know how far sort of the Marlins have fallen in the public consciousness that you have an all-time great Yankee of all things in this market, and I don't feel like a lot of people even know that much about him as a yeah. manager. Like, I mean, except the diehards who are watching him every day who get frustrated with him. But the diehards got frustrated with Freddie. The diehards got frustrated. I mean, with the diehards. Everyone. Whatever. I mean, the diehards. Diehards.
3: Are, diehards- Impulsive state of being is upset it's with the manager,
1: right? Well, they got frustrated with McKeon with for good reason because Jack did a bunch of crazy ass things. Okay,
0: <laughs> it worked like, out, man. It works. I mean,
1: let I mean, let's put in Mike Mordecai for Mike Lowell, see how that works. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, you get a home run, or let's play, let's start Beckham on two days rest, and let's. I mean, I I, I tend to believe, I know you do too. Uh, and I know the the Moneyball philosophy that the baseball manager is one of the most overrated things in sports. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean to me, any any profession in sports where basically you go into the clubhouse after a game and you ask questions that, like, you know the manager had nothing to do with because you're just killing time for 10 minutes while yeah. he's taking off his clothes. Like, it's it's just, no, it's just a weird, it's weird. I mean, they wear pajamas. Like, it's just, it's strange.
3: I was listening to the Levitard show yesterday with Stan Van Gundy and they were talking about, uh they were, they were playing some stories with Tim Kirchhen and, like, his his rapport with Earl Weaver. And yeah. like, and they were lamenting, "Oh, well, how come the baseball manager, as a character, has died?" And in some respects, it's because the baseball the baseball manager's importance has sort of died as the analytics have come through, and as basically general managers have kind of almost assumed the role of manager based off of dictating who plays and and, and how pitchers are used and all that, and, and the way in which the the, the the pitching decisions get made now that gets done at a lot higher of a level. I mean, I do wonder though, because in these postseasons, that you know the pitching changes are drastic and a lot crazier than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that is largely analytically based. I do wonder, like, if, if 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 this position is not really going to matter that much, why not just have a crazy character like a Jack McKeon in, in charge as as manager? But you're right. I mean, the, the relevance of the baseball manager in the broader sports landscape. Again, to the the baseball dorks will will always be interesting to them, but uh, to the to the broader <laughs> landscape, it's just kind of died.
1: Yeah, no, it it has. I mean, I, I just don't think um, you know. I, I I couldn't, and again, part of this is because I faded from the sport a little bit. Which kind of this was my sport growing up, and I knew everything, and I played APBA and Stratomatic and Rotisserie and blah blah blah. I mean, I knew. I mean, more about this sport than any other. It's a sport I played, but I couldn't name ten managers now. I just couldn't. I, it's a little of. Of both. I know Madden's in Chicago. I, I you know, I I know Dave Roberts is with the Dodgers, okay, and I know Francona's with the White Sox, but I mean I'd be hard pressed to get to ten, uh really. And so I and, and you know, I think we only notice managers when things go wrong and and when the results don't work. But Mar- Marlins fans have had a problem with every manager and, and part of you know, they had problems with Girardi his one year, okay. After the fact they didn't, but like, you know, during it I remember there were a lot of criticisms of Girardi. So it's it is what it is. I just don't know that Don survives because I think what what tends to happen here is if the process is not working swiftly enough, or there's a perception that he's playing guys he shouldn't be playing, so that his his record doesn't dip too much. Like is Prado getting at bats that maybe somebody else should get at this stage? Is you know Castro probably should play, but is Neil Walker getting a lot of at bats that maybe somebody else should be getting? then I can see management jumping in and saying, look, this is not where we're going. And and I, it was interesting. Hill said several times that Mattingly was his partner in all of this, right? And that is important to say. It's not always how it plays out, <laughs> okay? So I, I think that's uh, that's worth monitoring. But we're going to have a lot of Marlins coverage. I mean, we, we I think we have much more Marlins coverage than anybody else in the market. It's not really close. I mean, in addition to Chris and I, uh, obviously check out Swings and misses with Craig Mish, Jeremy Taché, Michael Sandbeek, who goes by Dutch. And our three Cinco guys, uh, Ricardo, Alejandro, Leandro, and uh, Tony Capobianco, who's a big baseball guy. He'll be out taking photographs. Also, our website is coming soon, and I'll be at opening day next week. So we'll have a lot of coverage of that on our IG feed at Five Reason Sports, where I'll take terrible pictures and then take mine down and put Tony's up. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon.